everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Contra Costa County DA, Deanna Becton. Becton is a former judge appointed as DA in Contra Costa County, and then she won in her own right uh, with the appointment of Attorney General Xavier Becerra by Biden to a federal post, the AG has become one of the more coveted posts with a lot of people maneuvering behind the scenes to try to get the appointment from Governor Newsom. So we welcome to our show, Deanna Becton. Thank you, glad to be here. So, um, you know, a lot of reformers want the governor to, appoint a reformer to the AG spot. And can you kind of talk about your record as the DA in Contra Costa County? Um, Sure, sure. So um, as you mentioned, um, I was elected, um, I would like to say by the people uh, in uh, 2018, after having served as a judge for 22 years and also being elected the presiding judge of our court and um, serving uh, on a national level as the president of the National Association of Women Judges. And so I like to think that in the two years since uh, my election was held, that we've really uh, been able to uh, get a lot of things done in my office. And so um, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. We, um, I'll just mention a couple of things. I mean, I didn't know if there was anything in particular. Uh, One of the things I'm very proud about is our work around youth justice issues. Uh, We were able to be awarded from the state of California a $1 million uh, grant. This allowed us to establish a a juvenile diversion pre-filing program, the first countywide program for Contra Costa County. And we partnered with the RISE Youth Center, which is a community-based center, as well as an organization called Impact Justice. And so we've able to implement this Uh, this program, which has a restorative justice lens. It redirects our youth from the criminal justice system, reduces recidivism, and also uh, uh, reduces the racial and ethnic disparities in our juvenile justice system. So we're very, very uh, pleased about that work. And then recently I launched uh, what we're calling the Reimagine Youth Justice uh, Task Force, or work group, if you will. And so in this group, we have just some amazing, amazing array of, of, of people at our table, including those who 
uh, have been a uh, system involved, youth as well as uh, parents and family. And what we're doing is we are studying and then we're going to be making recommendations about the most effective ways to uh, invest in our uh, youth using a restorative justice again uh, lens and also a community-based uh, solution. So instead of continuing to invest in youth prisons, we are spending roughly $550,000 a year to house just a few kids uh, in these institutions, uh, which have often proven to result in worse outcomes for our kids and our families. So we're looking at what those alternatives might be and how to find more a holistic and community-based support for our young people. So this is just a couple of the things that uh, we've done. Uh, I could go on and on because um, We've also partnered with the Vera Institute uh, and the Vera Institute uh, allows us to take a critical look uh, into our own decision-making at each point. And it is an exclusive, I think we're one of seven offices around the country who are able to partner with them on this work. And it is aimed at ending racial and uh, injustices in our criminal justice system and also attacking implicit bias. And so uh, our whole goal here is to dive into our data, to focus on using data to inform and implement our policies and our decision-making going forward. Um, and what do you see as the chief needs for the attorney general going forward? Well, you know, um, one of the things I think um, we'll, we should have an opportunity to do really in, is just kind of really step back with this uh, particular, really, really critical and crucial appointment that uh, the governor has uh, before him. As we know, you know, um, uh, the governor, the, I'm, I'm sorry, the district, the attorney general, you know, really is kind of a, a, in a unique position, uh, a unique position because it is a position, the highest law enforcement official in uh, the state that also comes with a, a very broad uh, uh, authority and very broad uh, discretion. And so whoever the governor uh, selects in, in our state with, you know, 40 million residents, um, um, we do think that at this point in time in our country, in our state, there really is a cry for um, uh, a, a leadership in our justice system that really does uh, have a reform-minded lens. And so um, there are so many things that I think um, one in that position could thoughtfully uh, reflect upon um, given um, the broad range of responsibility because it's both civil and uh, it is criminal. We have investigative powers, forensic powers. Um, there's an opportunity not only to work here in California, but also to uh, coordinate with force task forces and uh, do interstate work, especially uh, on a big scale that might involve, you know, uh, con consumers, for example, that have been the victims of fraud, which I think is going to be so important as we are coming out of COVID-19. Um, many um, states, including California, has a, the AG's office has a uh, civil rights enforcement division. Uh, and that is a division that I think will also be key because it will be able to focus on vulnerable populations in our community uh, uh, on issues like discrimination and voting rights uh, and, and, and education and making sure that uh, workers uh, have fair uh, wages. Um, so even just in those areas, those are just general, general and broad areas. But then I, I think also 
the attorney general has the opportunity to really take on some important uh, issues uh, that can be done uh, through uh, um, working uh, on uh, issues that are pending uh, in our courts, lending our voices to some of those issues as well. But I, and I think one of the huge things though that um, we really, really have to look at, especially uh, in light of all that has happened in the past year, uh, would be the area of uh, accountability uh, and transparency. I think this is just truly what the public is demanding from us right now. Um, we um, just had an outrage, I mean, not just here, but around the country, you know, when, you know, we viewed on uh, TV uh, the, the life of George Floyd that was distinguished you know, right before our eyes and then followed by so many others named and so many that are unnamed. And so, uh, you know, this is an opportunity and I think this is one of the places that people are really crying out uh, for more accountability. Uh, and that is uh, to have uh, the Attorney General's office lead out on uh, the, the issue of accountability, especially as it relates to law enforcement and really taking that on as a leadership role uh, to investigate cases with, within our state and to make sure that we're doing that with an eye towards transparency and independence um, and independence from, from law enforcement and really bringing justice to those who might have been victimized in that way. Well, um, and, and you already hit on it. One of my chief uh, concerns with the current attorney general has been but I would characterize at least a weak record on uh, police accountability. And I also think both he and his uh, successor uh, or predecessor, uh, Kamala Harris, were both fairly weak on prosecutorial misconduct. Um, you know, the, uh, the whole Orange County scandal, uh, which uh, neither of them did a very good job of, of addressing. Um, so, if you were in that position, how would you address police accountability and also uh, uh, do a better job on prosecutorial misconduct? Mm -hmm. So first of all, fortunately, in my current role um, as district attorney, you know, we, we do have to investigate uh, those allegations of uh, um, police misconduct. Uh, we have a, 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 um, a protocol in Contra Costa County, particularly related to uh, fatal uh, incidents in, involving uh, law enforcement. And so what we have done uh, in my office is to, uh, first of all, create a, do, a new uh, system for investigating those. We have a team approach, a team of attorneys and a team of inspectors uh, that go out to investigate the scene. We make sure that we are doing uh, an independent um, investigation. The other thing that I have promised uh, the people of Contra Costa County uh, is to uh, release a written report with my findings uh, if for any reason we are not filing uh, those charges. So what we've been trying to do is to shift to a process that makes our, uh, uh, our investigation completely transparent and um, that we are accountable to the people. And of course in California now we have a new law that um, pretty much requires the state prosecutors to investigate these cases. And I think that this is a mandate that the next attorney general could truly uh, to, to just embrace that uh, mandate and you know, make sure that you are putting in place the systems 
as well as the finances and the resources that would be needed uh, to uh, investigate these cases statewide, particularly uh, for a lot of the agencies that really don't have the resources to do the standalone uh, investigations. Um, the other thing I think it's so important though, uh, and this is a, a pledge that I've already taken as district attorney, uh, is that I think we do need to uh, create that perception of independence uh, from uh, law enforcement and that really goes to the heart of our elections. Uh, you know, it, it's just no secret that as um, prosecutors, we, especially at a local level, we have to work hand in glove um, with uh, law enforcement. That is the only way that we can successfully uh, get our cases through the court system and bring justice to those who have been victims of crime. But at the same time, we are also the ones who, uh, if there is misconduct, we have to also investigate those uh, same officers. And the unions are often the ones uh, that are funding you know, their defense. You know, as a former judge, um, this, this is just something that we always had to take into account uh, when a case came before us. One, uh, one question is, do you have an actual conflict? When many people would argue here that there's no actual conflict, but we also have to take into account the appearance of conduct of, uh, of a conflict. And the reason that is so important is because we really have a, a, a um, almost a mountain to climb right now in terms of gaining the trust and confidence of our public. And when we continue to have um, those kinds of relationships, um, it, it makes it very difficult for the public to trust that we really are doing a thorough and independent investigation. I'm uh, just wondering, um... Last summer, your office announced that you're kind of changing how you handle police uh, uh, shootings. Uh, can you explain kind of your thinking behind that? Well, um, certainly um, there were probably, there's a lot of factors uh, that, that went into that, but our office actually had um, um, a, a process, if you will, that I don't even think existed in, in other offices around the state. And that was our investigative teams were primarily led uh, by attorneys, uh, a, and, and, and in particular, a, a attorney uh, in our office. And we really wanted to make sure that our investigative unit, just like any other law enforcement agency would, would have the lead on those investigations on the ground, but that we would also have uh, attorneys available for the support and to answer legal questions and not actually leading the um, criminal investigation. So that along with the accountability through our reports that are released publicly and posted on the website uh, would be the major changes so that we can, when I say to the public, we're doing an independent investigation and that it will be transparent that I can, I can honestly stand up and say that to the public. We've also done a major training as well for um, our law enforcement arm as well as our attorneys so that as they are involved in this work. And it's the first time that our office has ever done that kind of a training office-wide with both the attorneys and the inspectors to make sure they're equipped. Uh, also trained on issues about bias and transparency so that as we go forward, we, we really uh, do have a much stronger process. Do you feel like the, um, your, the situation has improved in your office since you instituted these changes? Yeah, well, actually the changes are, are quite new. Uh, we had our training just in December uh, and now our teams are gonna be going out for in, in this format, uh, really for the first time. Um, we, we, I always say, 
hopefully we do not have uh, an incident to investigate. That is certainly our, our goal. But uh, if and when we are called to the scene, we will be ready and our teams have been trained and are prepared to go out. So um, how can you better address uh, racial inequities in the system and what can you do as AG that hasn't been happening so far? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the biggest things that we, we really have to think about is, uh, and I've mentioned this, but I think it's important to make sure that we're using data to drive our decisions. Um, very often over the years, as we've had these policies about tough on crime, they've often been driven by emotions and, and really other things that might have been happening at the time, but um, not necessarily driven by data and also the impact on our communities, especially the disparate impact on communities of color. And that's the squirrely the work that, for example, in my office that we're doing with the Vera Institute to take that dive into our data to see where our charging policies. There's a lot of talk right now about, you know, in the enhancements um, that prosecutors have the uh, discretion to impose and whether or not those enhancements, according to data, have really, really been used in, in a way that they have resulted in a disparate impact on people of color in our communities. And so having uh, an opportunity to step back and look at our policies, which ones are driving uh, this, the, um, the, the mass incarceration for one, and also leading us to these places where we are having disparate impact on our, certain parts of our community. Um, and I, I'm just curious, uh, this AG process seems to be uh, different maybe than uh, what you see with normal um, appointment processes. Maybe it's because it's been so dragged out has there been a formal component? Has somebody interviewed you? Have, have you met with the uh, governor's office at all? I'm not aware so far of any formal component. You just hear the names that are uh, out there. And I, I must say that it is an honor just to be listed among those who are being discussed. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see how this all unfolds. <laughs> um, did the, uh, I, I know the Legislative uh, Black Caucus endorsed you. Did they do a formal process and interview you? Or? Oh, yeah, it was a, a formal uh, interview, plus, you know, questionnaire and all of that that I uh, had to go through in a rigorous examination uh, before I received that unanimous uh, endorsement. Yes, sir. Um, and a lot of people that I've talked to at least think that Adam Schiff is kind of a foregone conclusion. Do you get that sense or do you not have any idea? There, I have no idea. Let's start there. But there's a lot of really great uh, names uh, that are uh, being mentioned. And, you know, we just, we just hope, what I hope is really the things that are important that we've uh, talked about. You, you touched on prosecuting misconduct. We've you know, talked about accountability, especially um, in terms of law enforcement. And there, there's so many major areas that uh, a reform-minded uh, AG can uh, begin to work on in addition to the legislative agenda that I think would be so important, uh, consumer issues, all of that. And so if whoever is selected, I think those are the kinds of things that we need to have at the forefront of that process for the selection. Um, now, let me ask you, uh, 
a different question that I haven't asked before. You know, one of the roles of the AG's office is to um, oppose um, uh, appeals and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that can change? I mean, we have a, a system of wrongful convictions uh, where people are wrongly incarcerated, and then you end up in this weird adversarial position where, where the AG's office is defending um, you know, some of these uh, convictions, some of which may have some serious problems. Is that something that you would uh, want to look at? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you, you may uh, be aware that in my office, as um, we have seen uh, across the United States, there has been a lot of attention uh, on wrongful convictions. And that is why we, uh, in Contra Costa County, established um, a wrongful conviction unit so that we can uh, take a look at and review those claims of uh, actual innocence. There was a change in the law which gives us as prosecutors an opportunity to go back to court and also uh, recommend uh, different sentences, slightly different issues, but again, to right uh, some of those wrongs. But I think we've seen the Attorney General exercise their discretion in terms of what cases to defend. I think Kamala Harris and um, um, uh, Proposition 8 was a, a good example of that to say we're not going to defend those, those cases. There have been other instances even recently with some of our uh, legislation where the Attorney General exercising the uh, discretion can you know, show greater independence. I also like the model um, um, in addition to what we talked about in terms of our um, conviction integrity units that a number of offices have, um, uh, have settled on. I like the model uh, that has been used uh, by Jason Boudin in San Francisco, uh, establishing the uh, Innocence Commission. It, it's a different uh, approach, um, but I think in, in California and other attorney generals is certainly an approach uh, to consider. It has a broader scope of people at the table and I think greater independence because it would not be staffed primarily uh, by, you know, line prosecutors as we might get in our office. So I think there's definitely a model that we can also look at to have a greater sense of um, taking a look at those cases and trying to right the wrongs of the past. Now, is that something that, that you would be looking to implement potentially at the state level, have some kind of uh, body that can look at these cases so that you're not defending against cases that you end up thinking I, are mistakes? I, I absolutely think, um, I'm just mentioning an array of things that I think uh, with a progressive lens an attorney general could be thinking about and that certainly is one of them. I think you just, you really get an opportunity to, to, to have a very thoughtful team uh, uh, with uh, different viewpoints and voices at the table to really sit down and say, you know, what should be the priorities and what, what are the things that we really should be working on, uh, especially the ones that the people are really talking about and we've talked about those already in terms of accountability and transparency uh, and also righting some of the wrongs of the past. And I, I assume you were, uh, you referenced like 1170D or some of yeah. the look back provisions. Uh -huh. Is that something the AG's office can also do or does that have to happen at the DA's no. level? It, it, the way I'm looking at it now, I think it is at the DA's level, but th there's still places there for uh, the leadership, especially 
uh, perhaps giving a lift, uh, uh, particularly to those counties who may not have the ability uh, to do this work on a larger scale. Uh, in my office, we are uh, partnered with an organization headed by Hillary Blount. So we actually have that sort of a, a cooperative partnership, if you will, between our office um, with um, CDCR, you know, and uh, with her, with Hillary Blount's organization, along with victim rights organizations as well, because they would have a voice at the table. And uh, to really be able to take a thoughtful look and to go back and look at some of these long uh, sentences that in today's world, we might not even consider imposing and see if and we believe in the interest of justice that, that we should be taking another look at those cases. And certainly that is another place that the AG's office can take leadership on, especially providing resources around the state. All right. Um, so any other thoughts on, uh, on, on this thing? I mean, I, does it feel unique to you because I haven't seen anything quite like this, to be honest. You know, there's been a lot of changes, right? <laughs> At the state level. And um, the, so the, the governor really is in a unique position to have so many uh, appointments to make. Uh, there really is uh, a lot to be considered. And I really hope that um, as he is making his decision, and I'm sure he's listening to lots of voices and lots of people, that, that some of these priorities, though, especially those uh, that are in um, the, um, on the pathway, I should say, to reform are ones that he will be considering. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today and uh, talking about your record in Contra Costa County, as well as your potential record uh, or what you'd like to do if you got the appointment uh, for Attorney General. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank this you. has been Everyday Injustice, and we've been talking to Deanna Becton. She is today in Contra Costa County, and she might uh, be an appointee by the governor uh, for the vacant AG position when that comes open. Thanks so much. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.